Hey, we're in our fall campaign called Be the Church, and we're focused in on uh, the uh, re-examination, if you will, of why we're here, why we gather together. What is the, what is the uh, purpose behind it all? It's important that we understand that, uh, and that helps keep us on track. And so remember, the church was created on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to advance or to work at accomplishing the mission of God. This is what the church has been doing for 2,000 years since Jesus started it. Uh, he, uh, he set his disciples out, all of those that were followers of his, to move forward in reaching the rest of the world. And so the church has been the vehicle with which God is reaching those around us. And so he uses each one of us uh, as we disperse ourselves through this community, as we represent him, as we become followers of Jesus, why then our lives reflect him and we get to share the message of God's grace, the gospel with the people around us. And so that is the simple process that God has uh, created and it has worked incredibly well. Uh, the church has been under pressure and for the last 2,000 years, there's been uh, numerous times it looked at all, uh, as though all was lost. And is the church gonna continue? Uh, and sure enough, it has, because remember, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And because Jesus is in charge, what he says comes true. And so we can have confidence that though we live in unique times, where we have unique pressures, that still the mission of God is going to move forward, and that our church, if we uh, stay focused on what God's called us to, we will continue to be effective at advancing the mission of God. And so uh, we're looking at the different cylinders that make up the engine that powers the church, right? That um, we want to be uh, healthy as a church. We want to be unified and firing on all cylinders. And so uh, we're looking at a six-cylinder engine because, of course, uh, we know that the engine that powers the church is a Cummins, right? Did I tell you guys that last week? That's right. Amen. And so uh, God only uses the best uh, to power. I'm just... I'm just joking, okay? Even though I, I do think it's a good engine. But anyway, so, um, so the six-cylinder engine that powers the church, and so these six cylinders, last week we looked at the first cylinder, which was worship, and that is the, uh, from that cylinder uh, and from that purpose, if you will, the, everything else flows. And so we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what Jesus said. Because we must focus on God and worship him and love him and give him all of our affection. And that's what affects the rest of our lives. It enables us then to do the rest of the things that he's called us to do. And so this week we're looking at the second cylinder, which is called discipleship. And the companion word for that is followers. Again, the word Christian is a word that comes from the early church, and it's appropriate. We are Christians, meaning Christ ones or little Christ, okay? But in our culture, the word Christian has kind of become, in some ways, just means that I'm a God-fearing person. Of course, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. Right? I grew up in America. We're all Christians. And so a little bit, maybe a little bit watered down in what it means to, be, uh, to really follow Jesus. And so that's why we're using that word followers. And today we want to focus in on what it means to be a follower, I've got statements of purpose for each one of these, uh, these cylinders. This week, the statement of purpose goes this way. Answering the call of Jesus to leave all, we chase after him with reckless abandon. Would you say that with me? Can we all say it together? Just a, a good way to, to, of learning is to say things out loud. So if you say this with me, uh, let's start. Answering the call of Jesus to leave all, we chase after him with reckless abandon. 
Jesus makes a radical call uh, to his followers, and he, he makes a radical call on our lives. Um, and so we want to look at that today. If you have a Bible, you want to uh, turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking at, uh, at the way Jesus um, described this call of his on our lives. Jesus, it's very famous. Uh, last year as we looked at discipleship, we recognized that one of the calls, and the one we're going to look at today, involves this phrase. Jesus would say to people all the time, follow me. And the truth is that we need to follow someone. As people, we look for individuals that we can follow, people that would help guide us and, and help us navigate life and, and figure out where we need to go. And Jesus was called a teacher, right, by many, and he certainly was. And Jesus wants to and offers to each one of us that opportunity to follow him, as we're going to see today in Luke chapter 9. How important is this cylinder called discipleship. How, how important is it? Well, we're going to see today by examining the words of Jesus and the call of Jesus just how important it is. The truth is that if we do not become a church filled with followers of Jesus, then we will not become the people that God created us to be. If we do not become a church full of followers of Jesus, then we will not be the church that God wants us to be. We can be a church and we can do some good things, but we'll not really realize what God has envisioned for us. And so what is at stake in this cylinder, this following of Jesus, this cylinder, what's at stake here is a life itself. The first requirement for a church to get this cylinder firing correctly is that we need to accept God's plan for us as perfect. We need to accept God's plan for us as perfect. Let's jump into Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 21. Follow along as I read a couple verses here. Uh, just to set the stage, Jesus is spending time with his disciples. And just prior to this uh, passage we're looking at, Jesus had asked his disciples who people say that he is. And if you'll remember, if you've heard this story before, Jesus, or Peter makes this proclamation. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, you're the Messiah, right? You're the Savior, and so following that proclamation, Jesus continues in verse 21. He says this, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. People think that's strange sometimes that Jesus would say, don't tell anybody. You know, somebody would make a proclamation about it. He'd say, don't tell anybody. Well, the reason for that is the timing of what Jesus was here on earth to accomplish. And if people were begin to discover who he was, if word went out as to who he was claiming to be, and who people saw him as, it would, uh, it would accelerate his time here on earth. And he, it was under a, a particular timeline that he was working. And so, um, but he goes on to say this to, his, uh, to those around him, to his disciples. He said, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus articulates here to his disciples God's plan for him. And in doing so, he acknowledges that God's plan for him is perfect. It is what he is on earth to do. Now, his, this plan um, was not something that Jesus was, uh, had developed for himself and was necessarily excited about because it was going to be a difficult plan 
for him to live out and to accomplish. And yet he recognized that this was the purpose, this was the mission, right, that he was here to do. And so he articulates it. He tells his disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be rejected. The people that I, uh, my people, the nation of Israel, right? The people that God formed for himself. He said, they're going to reject me. The leaders are going to reject me. And I'm going to suffer and die ultimately. But then I'm going to be raised from the dead. And so Jesus is articulating this plan of God. He recognizes in doing so, he has an acceptance of that plan. Now I want to tell you that this was God's mission or plan for Jesus. It isn't his mission and plan for for all of us, right? It's not the same. This was specifically what God had for Jesus to do. And he was the only one that could do it. We know the Bible teaches that Jesus came to the earth. God came and took on a body, human form. And the God-man walked through this life revealing to us who God is. And ultimately, he was able to go through this um, difficult plan that God had for him to accomplish the mission of dying and paying for the sin of the world. If we, if we begin to run our church, um, well, let me, let me back up for a minute. The reality is that to stay focused on the plan of God for us is very, very important. Jesus, because he knew God's plan for him, he also knew what, God's, what, what wasn't part of God's plan for him. See, Jesus was offered uh, some amazing opportunities. <laughs> Jesus was a very gifted individual, right? God in the flesh. He was pretty amazing. And, and so people recognized the power that he had and the ability to teach. And, the, and, and they thought, man, this guy could be a leader. This guy could lead our nation out from underneath Roman rule. Let's make him a king. And because Jesus knew God's plan for him, he also knew that that wasn't what it was. And so he was able to say no or resist sometimes the temptation that was put in front of him. Even the devil put the temptations in front of him. Jesus was able to stay focused on what God's plan was and continue to work towards that. The same is true for us as a church and even for us as individuals. To know what God's plan for us is, is is of utmost importance. Because then we know what God's plan is not, and we can resist the temptation to move in directions that wouldn't be a part of God's plan. One of those, an example of that would be to begin to, as a church, figure out how we can create the church that we want, that primarily meets our needs, right? And makes us happy. And in doing so, if that becomes our focus and our motivation, primarily, okay, not that it doesn't do that at all, but if that becomes our sole focus, then we will, we will drift as a church from what we are here to do, the purpose behind our gathering. And so it's, it's very important, right, that we understand what it is that God's calling us to. Churches can get off track. They can lose focus. There was a preacher down in Atlanta years ago, and he was uh, looking for a place to eat. He was there on business or whatever he was visiting. And so uh, he was looking for a restaurant, and so he exi- looked in the Yellow Pages back when there was Yellow Pages, and he found a church called the Church of God Grill. Now it's the South, so there's, there's some crazy stuff in the South. But he goes, uh, that's odd. I wonder what that's about. And so he called them up, and he got a friendly voice on the other end of the line. Hello, uh, this is the Church of God Grill. How can I help you? And uh, he said, you know, I just got a question. I'm a preacher. I'm here in town. And uh, just wondering, how in the world did you get the name Church of God Grill? I mean, that's, that, 
kind of pretentious, right? You know? And uh, the guy said, well, you know, we used to have a mission down here uh, in, in the city, and uh, we were serving some of the poor people, and uh, we were going about our, our calling, you know, to serve them. And at one point, we were kind of running a little low on uh, contributions and funds, and so we decided to have a chicken dinner um, Sunday evenings. And he goes, we started doing the chicken dinner. People started coming because uh, people love chicken dinners, uh, even here, but especially in the South. And so he's like, we, we started doing this. It started blowing up. And, and so we just kept doing it, and it grew and grew and grew. Meanwhile, our, our service and our ministry side was kind of withering away and shrinking, and fewer people were coming. And so eventually we just closed down the mission, and we just turned ourselves into a restaurant. But we kept the name, Church of God Grill. Hey, listen, uh, we can, uh, that can happen to us. It can happen to churches. It happens all the time where to take our eyes off the mission that God has for us, his plan for us uh, can have that kind of effect that we can drift away from what it is that God wants us to do. Jesus knew that he wasn't on earth to become the king of the Jews and to reestablish uh, the throne of David and to lead the nation of Israel out from underneath Roman rule. He knew that's not why he was on earth. He knew that God had for him a mission of salvation, but it would require rejection. It would require pain and suffering. It would require death. But in the end, it would also be marked by resurrection. The power of God working through him. Aren't you thankful that Jesus stayed focused on the mission? He didn't accept a tempting alternative that would have been fabulous for him. I mean, his life here on earth would have been altogether different. You and I have that same opportunities, those same temptations, and we certainly can as a church too. We need to stay focused. God's plan for us is perfect. The second step that we must take to get this cylinder firing as a church is we've got to willingly embrace God's plan. The first thing is to... Uh, accept God's plan as perfect. And we can do that. We can keep saying the right things, even as a church, as individuals. Oh yes, I know what God has for us and, and we believe in that and we're about that. It is a different, it is another step to take to willingly embrace God's plan. What that involves is taking a step of action. There's action involved, and that's always a little harder. It requires a little more commitment or a lot more. And so Jesus goes on to speak to the crowd. After he reveals what his future entails and what his mission is in Luke 9, continuing verse 23, he goes on to give a prescription of life that's very, very important for us to understand. It is the way in which Jesus walked out and fulfilled his mission. This is what it says. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower... There's that call. Become a follower. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, Jesus said, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed. This is the radical piece. This is the piece that probably made some of his listeners uncomfortable. And it can make us uncomfortable too if we really take a minute and try to grasp what it means. 
So I want us to dig into this a little bit. This is a prescription. This is a formula, if you will, for living life differently. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you recognize who I am, the Messiah, right, as Jesus did, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, then, then um, you need to follow after me. And if you want to do that, here's the formula. Jesus is really saying, this is the way I have lived. I've lived this out. This is the way I'm living. This is how I'm working towards the mission of God. And you, if you want to be my follower, you need to do the same thing. Well, the first step in this progression is to give up your own way. And this involves a denial of self-interest, a denial of self-fulfillment. This is difficult to grasp. It's hard for us to do. You'll recall, if you know the story of Satan and how he got crossed up with God, he thought that he could overthrow, take over uh, uh, the throne in heaven. He thought he was greater than the one who created him. And so pride, self-interest, self-fulfillment is what led Satan to do what he did and ultimately be cast down out of heaven and doomed for destruction in the lake of fire in hell. Adam and Eve, as they lived in paradise, were offered the temptation by Satan to do something in their own self-interest, to do something that they wanted to do that would be self-fulfilling, but sadly would go against what God commanded them to do. And they chose to take that step. And so self-interest, self-fulfillment is very difficult for us to separate ourselves from. We live by this. It's how we navigate life. It's how we move through life. We can see it in our children, right? When toddlers are playing together and there's a toy that two of them want, you can see a great example of this, right? One of them grabs it. The other one tries to get it. And the first one says, mine. No, mine, right? This is, this is uh, at its core, how we live too often. And self-denial is incredibly difficult. There was a couple friends that went to a restaurant one time, a pretty nice restaurant, to have a nice meal together. And they both ordered the same dish, filet of sole and uh, a, a fish um, um, plate. And so uh, the, the waiter came out and delivered that to them. Two plates and, and there was two pieces of fish on there. One was a little larger than the other. And so one friend took a, an assertive opportunity and he took the two plates. He took the one with the little smaller piece and handed it to his friend. And his friend said, well, you got some nerve, don't you? You just gave me the smaller piece. They said, well, what would you have done if you were in charge? Well, I would have taken the pieces and I would have given you the bigger piece. And he goes, well, that's what I have. Um, we struggle. We struggle with this. Self-fulfillment, self-interest, it's just how we're wired. And uh, we struggle with it as children, but we continue to struggle. And Jesus knows that. I want you to understand that God, when God asks things of us, when he, he gives us directives, we always think he's taking something away. But I want, to see, I want you to see today that he's not. In this case, Jesus is trying to give something very, very important really the essence and the core of life. He's trying to get a shift in perspective and a shift in motivation. And so he says, you've got to, it starts with this. You've got to give up. You've got to deny. You've got to give up your own way. It's the beginning. See, the problem we have as people is that we begin to worship 
the person we're following. Someone said the trouble with self-made men is that they worship their creator. When we're the ones in charge, when we're the ones dictating where we go with our lives and what we do, we begin to worship ourselves because that's who we're following and God recognizes the destructive pattern that that is. Do you know where that'll lead us? It only leads to death. It only leads to loss. And so Jesus is saying, there's got to be a shift in the way you think here. What is your motivation? How do you live? And he goes, first thing you got to do is deny yourself. Give up your own way. It is in doing so that you're open to God's input, his direction. See, Jesus recognizes that as sinful humans who are, live under the curse of sin and we're fallen people, we have, we have settled for. In fact, we chase after the lowest level of living possible. And that is one of self-fulfillment. It is one of consumption. What can I get out of this life? I want to drink it up. I want to get all, you know, get it all. And so we go after that. That's how we live. We just end up, we just end up, you know, taking in, sucking up all of life. And this is the lowest form of living possible. In fact, it had not, it was nowhere in the picture when God created us. He wanted us to be generative givers, people that had life in us and we could give it to others. And yet because of the fall, because of sin, we fall under this curse and we are destined to live for ourselves. And yet God had something greater in mind for us when he created us. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Jesus has reversed the effects of sin and made us a new creation. Why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before the world was immersed in sin, God had a plan for us. And it wasn't that we live for ourselves. It was that so we could live in a way that would benefit others and would be giving to others. See, when we do good for others, as sinners, we're still doing it for ourselves. <laughs> I uh, talked to an atheist one time. And he said, yeah, you know, I help kids and I do good things uh, uh, to help others, to help the poor and needy. But he goes, I do it because it makes me feel good. Honest, <laughs> honest answer. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in this world that figure out it feels good to help others. But see, God didn't create us to be self-motivated. He created us to be motivated by him and his character, to, be, uh, to live, to reflect God and to serve in relation to what he has done for us and the life he's given us. And this is a altogether shift in thinking. Give up your own way is the first step. Then Jesus goes on to say the second step, which is to take up our cross daily. If you want to be my follower, Jesus said, you got to learn to give up, to put aside your own agenda, to put aside your own, uh, you know, the pursuit of, of self. And then you've got to take up your cross. Now again, for Jesus, that meant literally the cross that he would die on to pay for the sins of the world. Now that's not what the cross means for you. You're not able to do that, right? So what does it mean? Well, it's, it's, it signifies the mission of God, the work of God, God's plan for you. So what this looks like is I get up each day, I remind myself that today is not about me pursuing what I want. It's not about getting what I want today. I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to take up my cross. That is, I'm going to know and to focus on what is it that God has me here to do? What is his plan for me? And this changes how I do what I do. It doesn't necessarily change what I do. 
See, uh, there's an interesting thing that we've developed in the church over the years, and that is that we tend to think of this, this kind of living, if you were to live this out, that you would end up in some kind of vocational ministry position. You'd be a missionary or you'd be a, uh, working in a church, right? That's what this means. That's what this would look like if it was played out. The problem is that Jesus is speaking yes to his disciples, of which the 11 did become vocational uh, ministry guys, okay? But he also is talking to a whole crowd of people who did not all do that. And so we get that mixed up. We get a wrong perspective of what it means to live this way. To be a follower does not mean that all of us need to go into a vocational ministry position. What it does mean is that we do the things God's put in front of us to do with a different motivation. We do them differently. Now, it's going to look the same. Um, When I uh, um, do the dishes, which I do on occasion, when I do the dishes in our house, right, it looks the same as somebody who's, uh, who doesn't know God and is doing the dishes, okay? Looks the same. But, but the motivation behind me doing the dishes changes altogether because now I'm doing it when I'm, uh, when I'm following this process. I'm doing it to serve, right, the people in my home. I'm doing it to help others. I'm doing it to contribute to the health of my family and the home that, that God has given me responsibility over. Uh, when some of you, um, change the diapers on your uh, new baby that's entered your home or the one that's still in diapers that's been around uh, a, a little bit longer, right? When you do that, it looks the same when as a follower of Jesus you change a diaper as when somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus does it. But the motivation with which you do it changes altogether. The purpose that you're achieving. See, you're doing it as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, you've denied your self-interest. You're taking up your cross, which is the mission of God for you, which involves serving the people around you. And you do that work differently. Listen, there isn't a menial task for a follower of Jesus. There isn't something that's insignificant. There isn't something that doesn't matter. Jesus did some of those things as well. He served others. He, he did the menial things in life. And so it's not about what we do. It's the way we do it. It's why we do it. And instead of doing things that benefit us with that motivation, we're doing things to give and to serve and to follow God's plan and agenda for us. Whatever you do as a follower of Jesus, your motivation changes and therefore the fruit The fruit of your life changes. Did a funeral yesterday for a a man who's lived in this community many years, John Molko. Died too soon. But what a celebration of his life. The recounting of others who knew him and had experienced life with him. And even his children saying, you know what exemplifies this man's life was the fruit of the Spirit, right? I mean, this is to understand. He's he's not perfect. I'm not trying to make a saint out of him. But, But he lived an exemplary life. And in some ways... Um, a miraculous one, because when we live according to this process and pattern that Jesus has called us to, see, we're capable of so much more. No longer do we just do what we can do, but we do the supernatural, we do the miraculous as we do what we do. The impact on others changes altogether. The way in which we do it, the, the reason that we're doing it. And what we find is that Again, God asks us to give up our own self-interest, the pursuit of self-fulfillment. That's hard for us. We see it as too big of an ask. 
And so we try to play a game a little bit where we dance back and forth. Okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm doing this for you, but, but are our true motivations there, right? Are we really taking up our cross and denying ourselves? And that's hard to do. It's hard to do. If you examine your heart, man, there's more days I fail at that than I succeed at it. But I know that's what God's call is. And so we, we struggle because we feel that we're giving up. But the, the scriptures teach us that when we see it this way, we can transcend the situation we're in to recognize the significance of what God's asking us to do, the work he's put in front of us. It changes our perspective. We can end up in situations where we feel oppressed and beat up, right? Difficult situations. And yet we can still see them as right in line with God's mission for us. Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul shares a little bit of his situation and how he saw his situation when he was in a difficult spot. See, Paul was given the task of advancing the gospel. He went out to preach the gospel and advance the mission of God. And it was, a, it was an exciting job. Uh, he got to do some amazing things. We have much of his writings in the New Testament. And he started so many churches I mean, it just was a powerhouse, right? We all know who he was. If you've been around the church at all and, and you've listened and you've followed and you've read the scriptures, you know who this guy was. But there were a couple times he ended up in prison, chained, right? Unable, one could think, of fulfilling the mission, of working at what God had called him to do. But Philippians is one of those situations. He's writing one of the prison epistles, in Philippians, to the church in Philippi, talking about his situation. This is what he says in chapter 1 of Philippians. And, and I want you to know, writing to the, the church in Philippi, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything has happened to me here, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Can I just tell you, like, I, it's a struggle to understand how Paul could have such an optimistic, positive view as he's imprisoned, for doing what God called him to do. What I tend to do, maybe you do too, is go, God, I was serving you. I was, I was sacrificing everything. I'm doing everything. And then I, got, I just got knocked down. You know, I, got, I got punished for it. Thanks, God. Why are you doing this to me, right? I know you don't do that, but maybe the person next to you thinks that way sometimes. But I know I do. And the truth is, Paul gives us a, a model of how we can see our lives when we follow this progression of denial of self and take up our cross. He goes, I'm in chains and I'm imprisoned here. But he goes, I'm not sure who the real prisoner is because I have guards that are watching me, but they're stuck with me. And guess what I do while they're stuck with me? I preach to them and they're with me a long time. See, he, he flipped it. 
He didn't see his situation as, uh, as slowing down the mission. He goes, no, 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 this is, is speeding it up. How many times do I get to spend 12 hours with a guy and he can't leave? He goes, I can't ever do that. I start preaching in the square. People leave and they run away. No, now I got a, I got a captive audience. He just flipped it. And that's what happens when we follow this progression that Jesus has for us. Jesus is offering us the opportunity to step into a way of living that is unstoppable. We become unflappable. We're not bothered by the things that happen because we understand why we're here and what we're doing. And so we move forward as he did. He didn't even care if people were preaching the gospel to hurt him. Sometimes we get upset with what other people are doing in ministry, right? Are they really doing it for the right way? He goes, I don't, that's not my problem. The mission of God is advancing. People are encouraged because of my situation. How many of you are in a tough situation? Maybe you're in that so that other people can be encouraged by the way you're living it out, right? I mean, this is, this is the result of our lives when we understand this way of living. Lastly, Jesus says, so deny yourself, give up your own way, take up your cross, and lastly, he says, follow me. Jesus will, in fact, lead us through this life. What a remarkable offer. The God of the universe, the one who created us, is willing to take us by the hand and lead us through this thing. And this life is full of pitfalls and traps and places where we can get caught and stuck and hurt and damaged. And yet he goes, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you through. Just follow me. This ensures that we don't get caught back in a pattern of living that is self-motivated. Jesus lived on mission. He stayed focused. He constantly was receiving direction from God. You and I have that same opportunity. He was empowered by the Spirit. You and I have that same power available to us. And he responded to the needs around him. The, the interesting thing is that when we give up control of our own lives, that we find that God ends up leading us to really um, experience the desires of our heart being met. The problem is that when we go after self-interest, uh, we think we know what we need but we don't really know what we need. God knows what we need. He created us. And so he says, just follow me, give up your own way, take up your cross, follow me, and I'll lead you into the real life that I planned for you to have. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Well, the, the, what's at stake here, Jesus gives a warning. If you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. There isn't anything more empty than a self-directed life lived for self-fulfillment. There's nothing more shallow and more empty at the end of life. And Jesus promises that if you hang on to it, you're going to end up losing it in the end. It becomes a vapor and a, a puff of smoke and it's gone. And there's nothing to show for it. But he goes, if you'll give up control, if you'll give up your life, then I'll give you the real thing. This is a powerful offer, but it requires that we humble ourselves and come before God, understanding the position we're in. The last step we must take as a church to firing on this cylinder is we've got to be bold in talking to others about Jesus. Luke 9, 26 and 27, the, the last few verses here, he, Jesus gives this warning. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory and in the glory of the Father 
and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. If anyone's ashamed of me, Jesus says, listen, if you're going to discover this way of living, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. If you can get that down, what's going to happen is you're going to have real life. (laughs) And people around you are going to observe that you have the real thing. You have something they don't have. And when that happens, you need to speak up. You need to say something. We live in a day where it's become increasingly popular to, uh, to say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live a good Christian life. And others will see there's difference about me, right? And, and my life will be a testimony. Now, that's great. That's where it starts. But Jesus makes it clear here that the other requirement that he has of us is that we speak up and that we tell others about what he's done for us. My prayer is for us, and it starts with me, that we would be followers of Jesus, that we would learn to live life the way God intended, and we'd be able to grab hold of the real thing. And it would propel us and lead us and guide us through this life to do things that we're not capable of doing on our own. Jesus knew that if we would follow this progression, this formula for life, that we would be able to do the miraculous, the amazing, the things that defy what is possible on this earth. Do you know that God has a plan for us in this community that's beyond what we can do? Do you know that he has things he wants for us to live out and accomplish as a church that we could never do on our own? But if we are a church filled with followers of Jesus, then those things can become reality. We've got a testimony I want, to, I want you to watch of one of the folks in our church on this topic of discipleship. Hi, my name is Don Ulrich. I am 72 years old and retired. I want to let you know that this video is not about me, but it's about what God has done and is doing in my life today. All the glory belongs to God. Approximately two years ago, I was diagnosed with autonomic nervous system disorder. Wow, what is that? What has happened is my brain does not tell my heart to keep my blood pressure up when needed, and I pass out for a short period of time. I am okay afterwards, as soon as there's enough blood flow to my brain. I am on medication to treat the low blood pressure, but I still pass out from time to time. I also have macular degeneration in my eyes. I have been receiving injections for the last four years in both of my eyes every nine to 12 weeks. The injections don't cure it, but keep it from progressing too fast. My cardiologist first diagnosed me with my autonomic nervous system disorder. He suggested putting in a pacemaker with a 50-50 chance of correcting the problem. It did not correct it, but I did keep my pulse up where it should be. So we decided to see a neurologist in Fort Collins At the first appointment, he scheduled tests to see if this is really what I had. And sure enough, this was his diagnosis. He told me, Don, this condition will never get any better, but only get worse. This is not what I wanted to hear. Through the last two years, this condition has affected other parts of my body. Sharon can look me in the eyes and say, Don, you better go sit down. I am so blessed to have an understanding wife 
that takes its care of me. It's been a long process, difficult at times. I have prayed many times for God to take this condition away, along with my eyes. Finally, I accepted the fact it wasn't going to get any better and asked God to use this condition in my life to serve Him. I am reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8-10. through 10. And this is Paul speaking. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I truly believe this because God has my full attention today. Otherwise, I would try to do it on my own. And today that does not work. I also finally gave God my eyes and my condition because they are His. I love being a disciple of Jesus and I have mentored and discipled some young men in the past because God has wired me and gifted me in this area. With my condition, it became more and more difficult to disciple because I didn't, I didn't know when I might pass out. So I quit discipling. Now I had this void in my life. Sharon suggested that we attend the discipleship core class, which we did. At the end of those classes, I asked God, how do you want me to disciple today with my condition? There was no answer. And I wanted an answer right away so that I knew what to do. But it didn't happen. Which brings me to this Bible verse. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. He is strong. And take heart and wait for the Lord. I am not very patient when it comes to waiting. But I continued to wait for his answer. In my mind, I thought I could use my phone to disciple and talk to other people, but that was only a passing thought. It was back in November that God was preparing a way for me to be a disciple, and I didn't recognize it. Sharon and I both agreed we would never do Facebook. One day, Sharon said, I'm going to do Facebook so we can watch some of the grandkids' ball games and have five Facebook friends. I said, wow, that's a surprise, but that's okay. But I carried that Facebook, Facebook thing to the next level. In July of this year, I became very depressed. Poor me and on my pity pot. During that month, I was angry with God. Why are you not answering my prayer to be a disciple to someone? Oh, I know why. You can't use me anymore because of my condition. So you are through with me. Those were my thoughts. But I continued to pray and wait on God, like I said earlier. That waiting thing is difficult for me today. But sometimes that's what it takes because it's all in God's time frame and not mine. I have to be reminded to stay out of God's way and His plans and just keep showing up and how amazing things happen. Lo and behold, guess what happened? One day, a good friend of mine who I met hunting and fishing posted a post on Facebook and I could tell that he was struggling. So I texted him back to give me a call. God opened the door to be able to disciple him 
by sharing some of my life struggles because he was going through some of the same things that I went through. I was able to share with him what I did and what I do today in those situations. By the way, he is a Christian and we talk every week to 10 days. Through Facebook, God opened the door for me to be a disciple again. Without Facebook, it would not have happened. I am so grateful and thankful for this privilege to disciple. That void spot in my life has been filled by the grace of God. So if you are here today and thinking God can't use you, think again. He can and will. No matter where we are in our lives today, God can use us, our past or present situation. God created us for a purpose and as a plan for our lives. No matter how old, how young, how busy, how sick we are, God can still use us today. God has gifted each and every one of us with special abilities and talents. Whether it be a teacher, a disciple, a listener, a leader, a planner, a manual laborer, a singer, a, a musician, a baker, the list goes on. There are so many ways we can serve God and His church and outside this church in the community. If the Holy Spirit is tapping on your heart today or leading you, your heart, to do something, listen, then take some action. Visit with Pastor John or Pastor Ben or Ken Bear or any of the elders and they will help plug you in to help serve our one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. I am praying that the Holy Spirit works a mighty work in your lives today and forever. God's love lasts forever, and that's because God first loved us. I will leave you with these words. God's grace is all we need.